0: Please be advised that the following podcast contains a sensitive topic or information that may be upsetting or triggering to some individuals. Please listen with care. And if you are in need of assistance, please visit worktobewell.org. That's work, the number two, bewell.org for free wellness resources and crisis lines, or call 1-800-273-8255 if you are in urgent need. Please don't suffer alone.
1: Good afternoon and welcome. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson, Chief Executive Behavioral Health for Providence here in Oregon. Welcome to Talk to Be Well, where today we've got some special guests from the Work to Be Well National Student Advisory Council, Dominic and Kiana. Welcome so very, very much. Today, we're going to address racial trauma and how it's affecting youth in our communities and, and our mental health, because the reality is, It's affecting everything. As a reminder, the information provided during this event is for educational purposes only, and is not intended nor implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of of your care provider or other qualified health clinician with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. I do also wanna throw in there that we're gonna talk today about a topic that can be very triggering for some, And if you find yourself being triggered and you find yourself being overwhelmed with the conversation, it is always okay to step away and rejoin us at another time. This will be broadcast on Spotify and be always available. And I don't think this is the last time we're going to talk about racial trauma. I think this is the first of many conversations. So let's get going. Dominic and Kiana, I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Um, your role on Work To Be Well, and why do you want to have this conversation today? What really brought this to mind to say, I want to talk about this today?
2: Dominic, we'll start with you. Okay, awesome. Um, Hi, everyone. I'm Dominic. I am a member of um, Work To Be Well's National Student Advisory Council. I am a very passionate mental health advocate, as you will come to find out soon. Um, and I'm also equally as passionate about criminal justice and um, you know the the issues that are facing the bipoc community um, as we speak. And today, what brought me to this topic was obviously it's it's need to be discussed, um, especially in recent events in recent light with the you know the verdict of the Derek Chauvin trial among ver- among other um, events that are extremely important, I thought that it was, probably the best time right now to discuss, you know, what racial trauma is, how it's affecting BIPOC youth, how it's affecting everyone, um, how can we um, combat it, and how can we support victims of it. So, yeah, that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to help support any BIPOC youth that um, may need it, and to, you know, shed a light on this really important topic.
0: Well, hi, my name is Kiana, I'm from Maryland, and um, one reason that brought me here was because of mental health justice and equity in minority populated, populated communities. Um, I'm from Baltimore. So I experience um, various issues that BIPOC communities have to face. Um, racism, uh, systematic racism, and even mental health. And it's been a challenge among the youth. So um, I'm a part of DMV Students for Mental Health Reform, which is a advocacy advocate group for mental health justice for teens and the youth. So this is one of the many various challenges that we face, and I would like to speak more on it. Well, so
1: let's jump right into the deep end of the pool. I mean, how can external forces of of discrimination and racism and oppression contribute to BIPOC youth
2: self-esteem? That's a great question, and I'm really glad that you asked this question, because I feel like this is something that's um, kind of glossed over when we really discuss, you know, trauma and racism and discrimination, because it it just doesn't really seem like something as, I don't know, marketable as maybe other um, issues relating to race, um, but you know, when you are told something is true, like a stereotype externally for a considerable time and it's repeated, it's repetitive, it's surrounding you. People in the media, people that you know are kind of perpetuating these sort of ideals and these standards. I mean, I would find it weird that you wouldn't sort of internalize it. some way way down the road. I remember I was watching this video about a woman discussing a topic just like this, and she she called it appropriating oppression, meaning you're taking on what other people are saying about you. You're taking on the standards and the oppressive rhetoric that people are um, perpetuating about you. You're actually internalizing it. You know, It might not be immediate at first. I mean, at first you might combat it. You might be reluctant to even consider that this could possibly be true, but the more you hear these standards and um, this rhetoric and this divisive um, way of life, the more you start to think, well, what if this is really true? And the thing about trauma is that trauma makes you question your worth, your ability, your everything. And so the, in like, I like to think of it as a snowball. Like the more you go down, the more you take on. So the more you go down in this way of, you know, developing a trauma, the more you start to question yourself and you question your worth and you start to believe these external standards that are being perpetuated against you. So that's how you do it. Honestly, you get bombarded with enough um, with enough racism and enough discrimination to the point where you start to believe that "Hmm, maybe this is true. Maybe I am somehow different or inferior because of something I am or something that people think I am. So, yeah, I mean, that's how I think that you you know, internalized external oppression.
0: I would have to agree with Dominic on that one. I feel like um, with racism, we face an image that we don't identify with. And we also question our morals and our beliefs and our self-worth and our esteem. Um, We are not only faced with the challenge of Um, understanding problems. We are faced with the challenge of experience situations that we don't have to be in. And I don't want to sound like Sigmund Freud over here, but it's an unconscious feeling. I know it's a similar desire of, can I be better? Can I work better? Can I be a better person? Why am I in this position? And it kind of creates an envy for people who don't experience these situations like other people do. And it creates a challenge and not only racism, there is problems among the BIPOC community like colorism. That's also something that people experience is why am I not the stereotype or why am I not the person who is ideal or want? And it creates the balance of self-esteem to go down. Yeah, that's...
1: So Kiana, you you used a term that I think some of our viewers may not have heard before. Can you talk a little bit more about colorism?
0: Okay, yeah, absolutely. So colorism is basically the standard, um, basically the standard beauty for a community. It's what makes you so. It's kind of of what we are supposed to look like um, for Black people. It could be light skinned. A fair tone, small lips, small eyes—you know—a certain body shape. It can go beyond color, but it's most likely the challenge of being another skin that's not idealed or accepted by the community. And it's a stereo—not only a stereotype—but it's something that can be de- derogatory because it's reflecting on other people towards you. And it's kind—it's very similar with racism. It intersects mm-hmm. on that level of being flawed and not accepted and criticized for something that you are out of your control.
1: I really appreciate that because I can see how that just infuses into low self-esteem and all of the, all of the external messages that can drive and really impact a young person's mental health. I, I also see, you know, the media and what the media is bringing to this conversation and uh, are there pros and cons of the media's spotlight on the trauma and the brutality and other related topics? I mean, is is there a good side to how the media is managing this and and what could the media do better?
0: Well, I think it's better to lay out the pros than the cons. But one thing <laughs> the media does good is it it brings justice to these issues. It sheds light on these issues. It shows a brighter side that everyone is different, and everyone there's people who are same as you. That's one thing the media does. It not. I think while it lowers your self esteem on some level, it also boosts it on another because it brings that this is unrealistic definitions of these things. But one thing about the re- media that does is it shows a idea that you are not in some situations when it comes to colorism but also for racism it shows that there are people against you there are people who are not for you when it comes to that and it can be damaging because it shows that it's there are, you're basically a being in a battle that you do not want to fight or it's something that you're discriminated it shows brings light to that topic and that's one of the cons it shows every single person, every person's viewpoint, which can be helpful, it can be encouraging, or it can be negative.
2: Yeah, I just, that was a wonderful, wonderful way to put it, and I wanted to just, um, before I say, this was like a pro and a con that came to me, I wanted to echo something that Kiana just said, which is like, this is a battle that um, individuals of color did not ask for. This is a, this is a fight that they did not ask for. This was, um, brought against them by forces of oppression. And this isn't like a, a consenting battle. I mean, this is something that j- they just have to face, but they never asked to. They never um, specifically said that they would be down for ask for, for this um, situation. But one um, one pro that I see, and it's similar to Kiana, is like it, you, we finally are seeing accountability for the actions of certain individuals in our world. I mean, like if you... I'm sorry, let me re- let me reword that. Um, let's go back to a, a very um a very recent incident. Um, you know, a p- person of privilege, if they heard of the story of what happened to George Floyd, that his um his neck was compressed by the, the knee of an officer for nine minutes and 29 seconds, if they were a person of privilege, um, most likely, and they had only heard of that story, they never actually saw the footage, they would be. They would probably deny it they'd be like oh that doesn't sound right that doesn't sound real because obviously their privilege is acting against their their logic but it's also like you don't actually see it so i mean it's, it's harder to to really believe it especially for people who don't have to you know undertake this sort of um oppression on a daily basis But with media and with, you know, the invention of the smartphone and its distribution and its usage, like people can actually see that these things are happening. And there can actually be forms of accountability because we have video evidence like um, with George Floyd is a situation. And obviously there are situations where even video evidence isn't good enough to um, to really break the barriers that our system um, has in front of us. And that's very unfortunate. But video evidence media has really brought, has really brought, has really brought a a new sense of accountability for actions. And one con that is really important to remember is that seeing the complete and utter brutality and violation of black bodies and brown bodies and individuals of both black and brown um, skin color is extremely traumatic to watch. And Um, especially being a BIPOC individual, that is gonna be extremely traumatic to watch and that can contribute greatly to trauma. And that's something that we need to remember and something that we need to remind BIPOC individuals is that um, only take in as much as you can take, only take in as much as you can really handle because it's not your job to take in everything around you, to take in all the media, take in all the brutality, all the violence, all the violation because, I mean that would drive. I, th- I think that would drive someone mad, and especially when you identify with this person on a level like in race or in an ethnicity, um, to really see this brutality, and then just have a constant connection to it, it it's traumatic and it's really really um, it can be really what's the word? It can be really terrible. That's not a great word, but it can be really terrible for someone's mental health. It can be detrimental to see this brutality and this violence. And so, I think that's a message we need to really remember when we're thinking about the media is like, you know, only take in as much as you can handle, because any more than that, and that we're asking too much. I mean, we shouldn't have to expect BIPOC individuals to just know what's happening around them constantly. They should have the liberty and the right to say, you know what, I can't handle this right now because I'm scared, I'm worried, and I'm overwhelmed.
1: You know, the two. Biggest takeaways from from this piece of the conversation that you both brought into this was was the idea. First of all, this is not a battle you chose. No BIPOC individual chose this battle. This is this is not how that works. But also, when we think about one of the greatest pieces of of building self esteem is seeing yourself in other people, and when you're identifying and seeing yourself in these trauma ridden, trauma induced horrific acts of violence against people who look like you, that trauma right there, that is, that has a, a visceral impact on your mental health. And and the fact that you're recognizing that and lifting that out and giving people permission to step away and not be responsible for all of that. I think the other, the other piece that I would say that you are not responsible for is you're not responsible for educating people of privilege either. That is their responsibility. But I see more and more youth being put in positions of having to take that on. So how do we move forward? How do we begin to separate self-worth from the things that you both have so eloquently identified? How do you do it?
0: Dominic, if you want to go. No, you can go. It's fine. <laughs> um, well, one of my favorite quotes is if you love yourself, if you can't love yourself, how are you gonna love someone else? It's from RuPaul. <laughs> but um, I really focus on myself. You know, I don't focus on the outside world. You have to be able to dis- dis- like deconnect that norm, social norm, and so trauma and news and the media and um, things that are happening outside the world from yourself, you know, before you can be able to tackle these issues, confront these issues, you need to be able to have those barriers on, on the fact that, you know, I am a better person. I know myself, even though people are harmful or, um, have negative views towards me, I am, well, I am only in charge of myself and you have to be really able to connect that, that, thought in your head you know whether it's um focusing yourself environmentally going to working out more or going places or communicating with people or having talks with your friends i feel like distinguishing that you are better and you are more help like you're more powerful than you think you are and you are better than what people are coming up with on you i think that's the better way to be able to handle that. And one day when you get faced with this racism, you're able to identify racism as acts of violence because of other people, not yourself, which I feel like is the main factor on the, this emotional trauma is that, you know, you think that you can do something else to prevent that. But sometimes that's not the case at all It's other people once you identify these things I think it can help with dealing with it and handling emotional trauma
2: yeah I mean I just want to echo um I want to echo what Kiana's saying is because it's really important is that you actually have to disconnect yourself from mm-hmm. standards in the media and everything that is going on around you because, um, that's how they feed it. how that's how they feed your trauma. I like to think of that's the media, that's how the media can feed your traumas by showing you these standards and really um, really exposing you to things that are very harmful. And the first step, like Kiana had mentioned is really disconnecting yourself from it. And that can be, you know, positive, it can be out loud or um, inside your head like affirmations like if you hear a standard or stereotype thrown at you, say no, that's not true. You can actually, I mean, sometimes I have to say it out loud just to really <laughs> hold that space and really, really affirm that that is not true and that, has, that is not connected to me. And I think that it's our job as advocates of mental health to really, really, really (laughs) hammer in the the truth that what people believe about you is completely independent from your worth, and what people think and say about you is completely different and is not at all related to your personal worth, and it never should be, and if it ever is, that is not a good situation to be in. I think it's our job as advocates to really, really, really stress that those who are independent and that they should never be relating and we have to really stress that um, people need to start you know cutting themselves from these standards and not taking them in not appropriating them not internalizing them and we need to be giving them resources to help their trauma like the racial trauma um, toolkit and the black muslim trauma C- toolkit and um, the instagram the collection of asian mental uh, mental health or the asian mental health collective on instagram Um, Asian American resources for COVID related mental health stress liberate. It's a free uh, meditation app for BIPOC individuals. There are so, 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 so many resources that can be helpful to actually divide yourself from these standards and these oppressive forces and really start to build up your own worth and then heal your trauma on top of that.
1: So let's, so let's go into this. I mean, what is, what is racial trauma? You brought up all these great toolkits and all these great, you know, resources. Some of our viewers may not be familiar with the term racial trauma.
2: Yeah, I mean that's a great question, um, and you know a lot of the resources that I've named off, and some that you're going to see coming up across your screen, they really go into depth about what racial trauma is. But I like to like to um, simplify as to think that racial trauma is the trauma experienced by BIPOC individuals because of certain um, forces, certain oppressive forces, certain um, standards, right, um, Certain um, acts of discrimination. Mm-hmm. I think that that's the, that's it. Like you know, you have to understand first. Well, what is trauma, and then apply the the term race to it. It's trauma that is grown out of experiences of being a BIPOC individual. And I think that I think that's really the simplest way to to explain it.
0: yeah. Um, I think I would define it a little bit different. I think it's the trauma again. It's just trauma with race, but it's a trauma due to a BIPOC's Communities due to the effects of white supremacy and systematic racism. I like to see it as different. It can be also another factor. It doesn't have to be that you experience racism firsthand. It can be that you are in another position than what the norm is, or what more privileged adult people are. And it's things that you have to suffer because of that. For example, jobs, you're not getting a job. Um, you're a rec- you got your a record. And you can't, you don't have the same rights as a regular person or standard person would have. Many things can still be considered as racial trauma, even though you haven't experienced these things. It can be simple as news. You know, you watch news, you see the things that are happening outside in the world and you develop this impersonal trauma with it. So I just like to consider it the effects of what systematic racism and the problems that we have in America and in the world in general, then um, with the certain topic of racism and um, injustice.
1: So, so given all of, of the issues related to racial trauma and putting yourself out there the way that you two very much put yourselves out there. Um, you know, I, I live in Portland, Oregon in, in an area that has been, uh, experiencing protests and upheaval nearly this entire time. Um, and my own daughter goes out and she, she often, um, goes out to be medical support and emotional support for people who are protesting to be able to be there and support them in, in the trauma that they experience as part of that. Is it worth standing up to racism and discrimination and oppression if it's gonna have an impact on your mental health? Because, you know, I've, I've watched I've heard some of the stories as she comes back in and talked about how traumatizing it is to stand up for your beliefs and what she sees. And, and, and I wonder, is it worth it? What do you think?
2: To the extent that you can? Yes. I think I think that that question is definitely, it applies differently to everyone because certain people have, like there's an extent to certain how much people can actually handle from all of this. So I, I, I always like to respond with, to that question with to the extent that you can, meaning like if you can go to a rally and you feel like you can actually handle that and it won't lead to like mental exhaustion and you can post resources and you can, you know, volunteer for organizations. I mean, that's great, but if all you can like muster because you are just so exhausted and you are dealing so terribly with trauma is a post, That's fine. I mean, honestly, what you can do as a BIPOC individual is do as much as you can to the extent that you feel comfortable, that you feel safe, that you feel like you aren't exhausting yourself. I mean, obviously, there are some times where you're going to be pushed into a zone where you're not completely uncomfortable, when you're not completely comfortable with it. But as long as you know your boundaries, your limits, and you don't overwork yourself doing the job that the system should be doing, which is fixing itself you are doing just as much as you can. And that's all that matters is that you're just doing as much as you can because this isn't your job to alleviate this trauma and fix the system that's working against you. Your job is just to fight and to um, stand up to the extent that you feel is possible for yourself.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree with Dominic. Do what is right for you. I, even in some situations, I will tell you, don't even bother because people can fight for you. Um, we have created a social movement of many individuals. We are reposting swear, I see free post every single minute on justice, on how to fight, and resources, and um, justice for this person, and people like George Floyd. I used to see posts every day of George Floyd, for until the day of the Derek Chauvin trial. And I think if you are in a state where you can't handle and you can't be in a position for too long and you know you're not able to do what many people or other people can do. try to find someone else to support you. you know find a support team find a way of being building and getting justice for these things but also be in a position where you come first other than justice and standing up for what's right. you know you can't stand up for what's right and putting more things on yourself and you explode later. So it's definitely varies on the person and who you are, but I definitely think if I'm telling someone to do this, I think you need to know yourself first. You know yourself better than anyone else and find out what you can handle and what you can't.
1: That is such very, very, very wise advice. I, I mean, that is the, that is really at the crux of what you both have been saying today is is know yourself, put yourself first. And to the extent that you can um, put yourself into the conversation, but you're not responsible for the conversation. And, and I love that, that messaging. Cause I think that is, I, I think that can be very empowering. Um, how do you both manage racial trauma? You both experience this. How do you manage this?
2: Um, for me, <laughs> this is a very difficult question because it's a very hard thing to do. I mean, obviously I am a person of color. I am not a um a black or indigenous individual. So that I have certain privileges with that. But I still I have I have certain trauma experiencing certain things in my life. And um all I can say is that one thing that I've struggled with a lot, and I'm very open about what I struggle with, I, I don't find the need to, you know, not disclose what I deal with because I'm not ashamed of it, but I have a, uh, an issue with internalizing um, out um, external stereotypes like we've been talking about or like the idea that because of my color, of my race, I'm inferior and I have really, really hard time when I internalize that and I almost start to believe it. And so I have to really... Um, for me at least, I have to divide myself from that rhetoric and then remind myself, no, you're not inferior because you are not white or because you are Caucasian or whatever you want to call it or you're not this color or you're not this that. I mean, I have to literally affirm like, no, that's not true. And what I do is like if the thought ever comes up in my head, I immediately combat it. I immediately jump on the opportunity say, no, that is not true. I am not inferior because of my race. And I really, I'm really combative with myself <laughs> to just say like, you know, that's not true. Don't say that about yourself. Just because that individual thinks that or that person or that candidate or whatever, that doesn't mean it's true. And and I try really hard to, you know, de-internalize, to take out this these internal, yeah, I mean, yeah, it kind of sounds right, <laughs> to take out these internal um, stressors that have been um, internalized and to really combat them to the extent that I can um, on my own. And then I also, I, I, reach out for support. I mean, I am th- I have a therapist. I'm very open about that. And, um, and she helps me deal with that. And she helps me, you know, with these affirmations. And I reach out to my friends, and I reach out to um, anyone who can help me. I use the racial trauma toolkit um, that, you know, we have here. I mean, it might fly across your screen in a second. Um, I use resources that I know I can use and that can support me. And I just, I try. That's all I do. I try. At the, at the end of the day, I try and I fight and I keep working, and I think that's all I really can do with that.
0: Yeah, I definitely am open about the situations that the trauma that I had about it. Um, for me, it was definitely colorism. Um, I got to a position where I questioned, I didn't have a scheme at all, and I didn't even know it was trauma until years after and i heard someone talk about it and i was like oh wait a minute i'm the same way um definitely during middle school i grew up thinking that i was not the definition of beauty definitely it was the fact that i was darker than what it people saw as beauty in my school especially and i got begin to be i got judged usually i wasn't as popular as other people or you know i wasn't seen for who I was, but instead skin color. And I didn't know that had a big impact to myself until later, and I saw what I defined in myself and it was not a good position as, at all. And I think the only thing that made me strive for a better person was hearing that other people was the same way, that I was not alone in, when it came to that, and I think that's another pro of the media is that you get connected and you get more hands with people who are like you. You know, we are more identical than we are um, unlike, you know, we are more identical than we are different. And I think finding a team or like just a supporter, it doesn't have to be people from online or across the road or from TikTok. It, has, it can be your mom, it can be your dad, but finding your support is definitely one way that I had a better way to tackle trauma for me. And I definitely think I got better over the years. Um, I still have a long way to go, but it's a start. And also what Dominic said, find your resources, you know, um, get a therapist or open up about yourself um, is also a good way to solve this trauma solve the traumatic effect that you can have. But that was how I coped with it. And that's how I think people should start coping with it. It's just knowing that you're not alone and you're the way that you perceive yourself.
1: I I feel like we could continue this conversation all afternoon long. And I think I said at the top of the conversation, um, this is not the last time we're gonna come to this topic because the impact of racial trauma on youth BIPOC mental health is, is profound and it's continuing. And when you look at um, what happened to George Floyd and how he was murdered um, and and how our society responds to um, not that George Floyd was in a mental health crisis, but to people who are in a mental health crisis, especially BIPOC individuals in a mental health crisis. And our first response in a mental health crisis is to send in law enforcement. We don't do that anywhere else in healthcare. And and due to this incredible history of, of racism within the law enforcement community, that right there has a disproportionate effect on BIPOC individuals of mental illness. Um, we've got to continue this conversation around how we respond and how we um, stigmatize, especially BIPOC individuals of mental illness. Uh, because if that first interaction with any form of the community is law enforcement and is not healthcare, we've already lost the battle.
2: Exactly. I mean, how, I mean, this is something that I've heard, I've seen, and, um, and I'm sorry, I just, I have to jump in because you've brought up oh. such an important thing that when our, our response to mental health crisis is law enforcement and for BIPOC individuals, that can be deadly. I mean, one in four fatal police shootings are of someone with a mental health, with a serious mental health disorder. I think that people with mental health disorders are 16 times more likely to be killed in a police incident than other individuals. That is something that is so jarring. And what's even worse on top of that is that the largest institutions that are um, built that are built to support individuals with mental health issues or in a crisis are prisons. Those are our biggest institutions that are supporting individuals with mental health needs. And how is that ever gonna be okay? That we are actually incarcerating people because of their health, and we are punishing people because of their health. And our biggest institutions to support those people are prisons. I mean, that is something that is so absolutely disgusting to me, that that is how we treat people with with a health issue. I mean, would we throw people with diabetes in prison for having diabetes? <laughs> would we throw people who just had a heart attack in prison for having heart disease? No, because that doesn't make sense. So why would we do that for people suffering with with a mental health disorder or with just basic mental health you know, it, um, a basic mental health crisis. They don't even have to have a disorder. But why are we criminalizing mental health? I think that's something that we have to be asking ourselves constantly. And why is it affecting BIPOC individuals at a greater rate? That should never happen. It's disgusting. I have
0: to give you the shout out, Dominic. I agree with you 100%. Um, one thing that I like to say is why is health included with law enforcement and law? Um, one of the problems that we have in this schools is that SROs, um, SROs are arresting ju- the juvenile, inc- 30% of juvenile incarcerations are caused by SROs and 63% during COVID and when school closed, the, ju- the juvenile rate dropped by 63%. And most of these cases are <laughs> due to mental health. And it's astonishing how people are of color are not being treated equally to um and getting these guidance to resources and health professionals like they should be um there's the wraparound services have been around in every single school that is privilege based but minority communities and we're the ones suffering the most and that's due to and then we have the highest number of sros in our school and um i see cases where these are aut- these are people who are suffering with autism on the spectrum are being handled by the police because the teachers don't know what to do and they have to be picked up in a in at a police office. There's literally no excuse to to it whatsoever. And I like to say that they would rather put handcuffs on someone than treat someone because I don't know why. It's um kind of and this is what's causing the distrust between mental health and people of color because they are seeing that as soon as you get seek help you end up in these positions as soon as you try to help yourself you end up in these positions and it's not because of mental health i have to see that it's not because of mental health it's how the government portrays mental health it's how the the government acts on mental health and that's kind of my rant but there's literally no excuse the matter whatsoever and this is what's causing more problems in this society and this needs to be acted upon.
1: Well, if the two of you are willing, I would love to have you come back and have this conversation. I mean, let's spend, let's spend an entire episode and let's talk about this, this interaction, because I think this is really at the crux of, of what we're talking about in terms of the BIPOC experience and mental health. And, and this issue right here um, is one of the biggest part of the problem that you as youth mental health advocates, candidly, with your voices, have the ability to change. I, I want to thank you both so much for coming on today because we could keep going for another hour and they're going to kill <laughs> me in a minute. But thank you, Dominic. Thank you, Kiana, for your honesty, your passion, your bravery, sharing your experiences so openly about who you are and being part of the National Student Advisory Council and being part of the Talk To Be Well family. I also wanna thank our listeners for hanging in there today, uh, setting in your questions. There is a rich, rich volume of resources in the commentary along with this that we will add in when this goes out to Spotify. And we will also include these resources in our work to be well, uh, uh, website. Sorry about that. Our work to be well website. If you have other questions about mental health and seeking resources, you can always check us out at providence.org. And again, please refer to our resource lists at work to be well.org. That's work. The number two be well.org. I am your host, Dr. Robin Henderson, and this has been talk to be well, be well, everybody.